0: Slash /CLNS Now onto your regularly scheduled program. LNS Radio Network, Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. They did it. The boys from Foxborough did it, proving the doubters wrong, or at least the people that think that they cheat, the people that said Gate. the people that said they haven't won anything since Spygate. Well, they won it. 28-24 to over the Seattle Seahawks, an unbelievable Super Bowl, a Super Bowl that lived up to its name. Today's show is brought to you by the good folks over at lynda.com. Get out and learn something today. www.lynda.com slash clns. Claim your free 10-day trial. I've done it. Everything on there that you could possibly want. Uh, I need a ref- refresher on a little bit of Windows 8. Took that. Uh, of course, I do a lot with Audacity to record our podcast Got to know a couple of new things on there because of lynda.com, so check that out. But you're listening to the Patriots Beat here on CLNS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Kane. Joining me tonight are my good friends Bob Snowden, at SnowdenBob on Twitter, as well as Bobby Kravitsky, at Bobby underscore K91. You can follow the podcast at Patriots Beat or CLNS Radio at CLNS Radio. For you Facebook fans out there, www.facebook.com/clnsfans. Guys, what a game! Just five days ago, the Patriots victorious, down ten points in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, Shane Vereen—that offensive line, absolute nails. For the final two drives, in fact, Tom Brady, 8 of 8 on that final drive with the touchdown pass to Mr. Julian Edelman. Bobby Kravitsky, your thoughts on that game?
1: Oh, for my money, the best Super Bowl in history. Jeff, I know you agree with me there. And I got to be honest, I know that Seattle at one point in the second half had a 10-point lead, and that was followed up with the numbers that you just mentioned by Tom Brady, the game's MVP. But I felt overall, for the entirety of the game, I felt like the Patriots were the better team. Seattle really, to me, offensively, even though they scored 24 points, it, was, it wasn't it was like they were methodically picking apart the Patriots' defense or anything like that, having long, sustainable drives. They kind of just kept chucking it up, and I'll give them that. It wasn't random. They would look for a mismatch, whether it was Arrington or Logan Ryan, and try to pick on that. But they really just kind of threw the ball deep, hoping for the best. And on those completions, it would usually lead to a couple Marshawn Lynch runs and ultimately a touchdown. The Patriots, on the other hand, they didn't allow Seattle to go on long, sustainable drives. And offensively, Tom Brady, aside from the two interceptions, which you cannot excuse, but the offense was masterful, and I thought they had a brilliant game plan. It was death by a 1,000 cuts, and as a result, the Patriots are able to hoist their fourth Lombardi trophy.
2: I also felt the defense was great in this game. Uh, you know, you look at final statistics, and maybe it doesn't show it quite as much as as they dominated. I mean, they, they he didn't complete his—Wilson didn't complete his first pass until the second quarter. They dominated. Lynch— Yes, he ran for over 100 yards, but just over 100 yards, and there were times in that game where they stuffed him. Uh, You may remember there was one play in particular where Seattle had a second and three, and it was well inside Patriot territory, I want to say down around the 20-yard line, Uh, and he ran for two yards. Third and one, they tried to run him again, and the Patriots stuffed him, and that's the time Seattle had to settle for a field goal, which was the difference the key difference in the ballgame, that they didn't score seven that time.
0: That was the big thing there uh, for the Patriots. Rob Ninkovich, I thought, had a very, very good game. He was able to make some great stops, um, especially in the fourth quarter. He wrapped Lynch up. All, overall, just a great effort by the Patriots. Sure, they gave up 24 points. Um, sure, they gave up the touchdown right before uh, halftime. But this team, you know... I was a little worried. I won't lie to you guys. Wait a minute. When it, when it was, t- you
2: were more than a little worried. We were all oh, yes. sitting there, going back and forth with a private chat going on on Facebook, and everybody jumped ship halfway through the third <laughs> quarter.
0: It's part of being, you know, a part of being a Patriots fan. I think, especially, you know, I don't know how how I could do it. I guess I'm going to tell you this, Bob. I was channeling. I was channeling the Baltimore Ravens game because I gave up there twice and I muted you guys because I couldn't stand talking to any of you anymore. And I just wanted to sit there and sulk and it worked again. <laughs> yeah.
2: So you're the reason they won because you quit.
0: No, I, the, re, the reason that they won is that their players made plays. You know what? This has been one of the greatest Super Bowls we ever saw. I think we all agree that the final play of the game Well, not the final play of the game, but the final, the biggest clinching play of the game, of course, was our friend Malcolm Butler. He is now a household name in New England. He'll probably never have to buy himself another steak um, ever, ever again. He made plays. The offense made plays. The defense to hold Seattle to -to back-to-back three and outs to allow the Patriots to make up those ten points, they made plays. Plain and simple, at the end of this game... The Patriots team made plays.
1: Yeah, and there's been so many instances of the defense letting Tom Brady down, not being able to get that stop. And after the Jermaine curse, fluky catch, it looked like once again, whether it was the defense's fault or not, that they were going to be on the field with a chance to wrap up the Super Bowl and not able to get the job done. And in comes undrafted Malcolm Butler – makes the game-winning interception. And like you said, they made plays. He was great before that. Bill Belichick, after the game, termed it as Butler kind of had the hot hand, where he was knocking down passes, including the cursed catch, was able to get a mitt on the ball. So Malcolm Butler, from the time he came into the game until the game-winning interception, was making plays for this defense.
2: Well, and one of the other things on the defense... First of all, the overall team, you said it a couple of minutes ago, Jeff, this was a team victory. Yes, Brady had that great fourth quarter, but this was a team victory. The only player on the Patriots that didn't have a good game was Arrington, and he was out of position. We've all said since day one, don't let Arrington be a cornerback on the outside. And he was in that position in this game, and he was, what, about four inches shorter Uh, then he needed to be in a couple of key situations. And finally, Brandon Browner actually went to Patricia and said, get me in there. I can guard this guy. I'm taller than he, I'm as tall as he is and I can be physical with him. It's not Kyle's fault that he can't keep up with them, but Hey, I'm ready to go out there and take the guy on. And uh, I just thought everybody on the team from Logan Ryan, Right down to Malcolm Buckler. And Ryan had a couple of bad spells. But overall, I just thought everybody on the team played well.
0: It really was. And you know what? I'm not going to blame Kyle Arrington. That's a bad matchup for him. Because if you look at the AFC Championship game, Kyle Arrington absolutely owned T.Y. Hilton. This is an ability of this team. And the way that this roster was built from 1 to 53... That you're starting cornerback, and that's what Kyle Arrington is in, in this day and age of the the NFL, where you know normally the nickel back replaces the uh, the linebacker, and especially for the Patriots, ever since Gerard Mayo was hurt, um, they started to use more just two linebacker sets and had Arrington in there. Sometimes the matchups are not there, and you're right with this kid Matthews, who you know really came out of nowhere. Um, it, it was definitely the fact that you know what browner needed to be on him and browner made some great plays. listen i will be the first to admit that sometimes i wasn't the biggest brandon browner fan i loved the intensity he brought but i felt like every time there was a long pass thrown on him you know it was either a, a pass interference or a holding you know you heard that number 39 defense and it was more killers than anything this game he played unbelievable uh, especially towards the end of the game, not only on Malcolm Butler's interception, uh, where he absolutely blew up Jermaine Curse, allowing Butler to make that quick cut for the for the interception, but then of course af- uh, before that, there was a long bomb down the uh, down the sideline uh, for Curse, and he got up there and just got his feet uh, got his hand on it. It was great.
2: Well, and when you look at Browner, the only thing is um, we're going to look at next year. And I think one of the things we need to do on the show today, although we can't really go in depth yet, is talk about next year. And it seems funny. I mean, we're only a week after the Super Bowl, not even a full week, to be jumping ahead too much. This is the youngest team to ever win a Super Bowl. The only two really old players on the team are Will Fork and Brady. So it will be interesting to see there's a fairly long list of unrestricted free agents that are on the team and how that money is going to work for them to be able to keep Revis and sign some of the others.
1: And in fact, Bob, at the parade, one of the themes was the chant of let's get five. Even Vince Wilfork came on the radio, I believe it was on WEEI if I'm not mistaken, and said that. Not only is he not retiring, but that he is focused to putting the work in this offseason to do everything he can to make sure that this team accomplishes that goal. I think the players, as much as they're going to celebrate and take take this in, I think that there's a fair amount, if not all of them, who are looking to do what it takes to repeat as champions.
2: Let me ask you this real quick, though, Bobby. I believe he has a pretty heavy cap hit again next year. He took a restructured contract to play this year, and Jeff, you're our guru in a lot of this stuff, but he is one of those that will cost quite a bit, I believe, if his contract stays as it is now, is it not?
0: Well, basically what happened with uh, Vince Wilfork is uh, come, I believe it is March 10th, which is the opening of uh, the new league year, uh, Vince Wilfork will be um, asked to, uh, to take a $4 million, basically a roster bonus, combine that with $3 million uh, bonus on a $3 million base salary, and he's going to count $7 million against the cap. Uh we're not sure where the cap's going to be this year. I mean, it's it's going to be uh you know, upwards of 140 million dollars. There's some big names out there and before we get there, let's let's just finish up a little bit on the Super Bowl and then we'll dive into uh you know, starting up this off-season. But you're right, Bob. There are some things that need to be worked out with guys like Vince Wilfork who, you know, has 7 million dollar cap hit and we're going to have um Miguel from uh, PatsCap.com on a future show uh, coming up. Uh, He's also from PatsFans.com and the great people over there at the Patriots 4th and 2 podcast. Um, He's going to come on a show uh, earlier in the offseason, probably before the league year begins, so we can start talking with him about salary cap ramifications. There's a lot of things to be happening there. But before we swap over there, I'd like to get some final thoughts from you guys on the Super Bowl um, we'll start with you, Mr. Snowden. You know you've uh, you've got more experience than all of us uh, in watching the New England Patriots. Uh, I have been lucky enough to see uh, every single one of the Patriots' uh, eight Super Bowls. Uh, I've been happy at the end of four. I've been miserable <laughs> at the end of four. Um, this Super Bowl here. Is this the most gratifying Super Bowl for New England Patriots fans in your eyes?
2: Uh, that's a tough one. And everybody. This was the best game of their Super Bowl games. I want to say 2004 because you tend to forget. That Ten years ago, you, I think I was more excited in 2004. Now, that doesn't take anything away from this game. Because I was excited in this game, and I was obviously thrilled when they won it. I was happy for Brady getting his fourth ring. I was happy for Belichick. Hell, I was happy for me and you and everybody who's a Patriot fan. But I'm not sure I was as tense and really wound up in this game as I was in 2004. And, and the fact that the field goal kicked I mean, there, there were just so many things that that occurred that I, I think I was I was more excited then. Although that doesn't take away from this game.
1: In my opinion, this one was the most gratifying because it put to bed DeflateGate and SpyGate, and now you you know it had been ten years since Brady and Belichick last won a Super Bowl, and what it does in terms of cementing their legacies but i would say that 2001 was a more important super bowl because it started winning in boston i really don't think across the board in all four sports that there was a mentality of we can win championship here in this city and then all of a sudden the patriots won and it just ignited everything and now it's gotten to the point where the city is nicknamed Titletown because of the success it's had in the 2000s. And that all first started with the New England Patriots in 2001.
0: I think it would agree with you there, Bobby, because, listen, we've got nine titles now since 2001. Unbelievable. Uh, Jerry Callahan from Denzel Callahan's program uh, on WEEI in the morning and former Boston Herald uh, writer, nicknamed New England or Boston, Loserville, and he was right. Uh, he was absolutely right on the fact that this was Loserville. I mean, we had, we had parades for Ray Bork when he won the cup with the Colorado Avalanche. We screamed, cheered, and yelled when uh, Louis Gonzalez's uh, bloop single went over Derek Jeter's head to win Game 7 of the 2001 World Series. We just hadn't had a championship since 1986. As far as the rest of the other four Super Bowls go, uh, listen, they all have a special spot in my heart. Uh, the, the first Super Bowl will probably always be the most unbelievable one to me because of everything that happened that year. You had Bloodso going down with the sheared blood vessel in his chest. You had an unknown second-year player in Tom Brady come out and rally around. You had Bloodso getting healthy after the Saints game and, you know, kind of being a little pissed off and saying, I look forward to competing for my job. And he repeated, for my job. And then you have Tom Brady leading the team into the playoffs. The tuck rule, which was unbelievable. Then you turn around and he gets injured. And uh, Bloodsoe comes in leads a touchdown drive. uh, And then they get into the Super Bowl and it's, who's going to start? Brady or Bloodsoe in the Super Bowl. And I'll be the first to admit, as great as Brady had played that year, I kept saying, going up against this greatest show on turf, that Bloodso gave us a better chance to score more points. Now, the Patriots came out with a brilliant defensive game plan, and Tom Brady became the uh, the MVP of that game. And really, that's what sparked it all. So 2001 was amazing. Uh, 2003 season, the, the win over Carolina, up until the game uh, last Sunday, I thought that was the best out of the, the Super Bowl games. I thought that was just unbelievable. Two defenses, two teams that hate each other. By 2004, you know, the the, the win, while I don't want to say I took it for granted, and we were three months removed from the Red Sox winning their first World Series, and, and honestly, three and four years, you know, they won. I was like, all right, yes, good. The angst that happened after the 2007 season, the 2011 season, the unbelievable catch on Tyree's helmet, Mario Manningham down the sideline between Sterling Moore and Patrick Chung to keep a drive alive and, and all that, and then the Jermaine Curse juggling catch at the end of this Super Bowl, that victory, from the, just clinching it from the jaws of defeat, really was satisfying and i got to say this as much as 2001 is by far what i think is the best that the patriots fans could have asked for this 2014 just felt as special
2: and i'm going to step in and correct myself because i said 2004 but i meant 2001 the first super bowl that one was the the one that i would consider the most tense the most exciting not 2004 This one was a better game by far. Um, And I'm tired. I don't know about you guys. I'm tired of hearing that Seattle lost it, The Patriots didn't win it. That's BS. Seattle was lucky to even be in a position to win this game, never mind the call at the end of the game that everybody's nailing it on. That catch never should have been a catch under the regulations a couple of years ago He wouldn't have gotten the chance because, and I'm not sure if it was Logan Ryan or who, but after Butler knocked the ball away, and it was up in the air, one of the Patriot cornerbacks— Ron Harmon. Oh, that's who it was. You're right. Harmon. Instead of going for the ball, which would have forced him to land on top of the receiver and probably drawn a penalty, he jumped over the body, and therefore the ball came right down again on top of uh, Curse. so that that was the play that Seattle should be thanking someone for, because without that play, we don't have that last play.
0: And 10 years ago, you have Jerron Harmon drilling a shoulder into Javon Kirst right there, not jumping over him.
2: Yep, yep. So I, 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 you don't hear many people talking about that, but I really felt. You know, you hear people talking about the play, but you don't find many talking about why the Patriots let the ball just float up in the air and come back down. That's the reason why. They would have got called for a defenseless receiver. Hey, let's talk a little bit about uh, sportsmanship and the end of the game. Uh, Seattle was about as bush as a team can be. I understand the emotions. And and anyone who has ever played a sport, you think you've got a game won, you're in the last seconds of the game. Uh it, it, it does build those emotions and the frustration and the fact that they then went beyond sportsmanship. I think their only choice was to go over and punch out their own coach <laughs> if they didn't take it out on the Patriots because they were so angry at that stage. But they're, a, they're just a poor, poor sports even after the game. You're hearing and seeing things, and it's funny, the Seattle fans are kind of laying into the Patriots fans because in the parade, they were holding signs up, uh, or the Patriot players, actually, holding signs up. Uh, uh, Edelman had a sign, and and the one, I guess, that was most offensive was the one that Blunt had. Um, And they were calling the Patriots classless. Wasn't that the team that got a 15-yard penalty? for a wide receiver catching a touchdown pass and then pretending he's pulling his pants down and going to the bathroom on a football? Yeah. Uh, I mean, talk about classless.
1: Exactly, Bob. And I think that what you saw in that moment right there with Doug Baldwin, and especially at the end of the game, was some of the negative aspects to having a coach like Pete Carroll because it really is, in a sense, anarchy over there in Seattle where the positives are the players are able to play fast and loose and it allows them to not think. They, just, they all kind of do their own thing and to a degree they're professional about it. It allows them to play free and be great defensively. And then what you see is it all came apart at the seams down the end, not even after the interception. Russell Wilson throws an incomplete pass, and after that, they have to burn a timeout because they can't get the playoff. There's just so many instances throughout that game, really, especially as the pressure turned up, as we were getting closer and closer to the end of this team's lack of discipline showing its head, and it really cost Seattle big time.
2: They, they actually wasted and, Jeff, you probably are, have the exact number, but I want to say it was 30 or 35 seconds between plays at one point. And, it was, and that's the one I think you're talking about, where ultimately they called a timeout. But, good God, that's not the time you want to be having the clock. You, you had control of the game, Seattle. And, and you're right, Bobby, completely. The things they did, they shot themselves in the foot. And it wasn't just that last play. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, the more I'm reading about it and seeing some statistics, the less I'm thinking that was a terrible call. That play works 99 times out of 100. Butler made a great play. And and yes, everybody's raving about Butler, but watch it. That was a great play by Butler.
0: It was an unbelievable play by uh, Malcolm Butler. Listen, when I was I've watched the game over, I've watched the coaching film. If I'm Russell Wilson, I'm making that throw. It's an instinctive play by by Malcolm Butler. It's a great play by Brandon Brown of getting in the face of the pick. Listen, it, it it's a play that's gonna have to happen. Seattle had to waste that time out after that curse catch because the, the play clock was winding down. Um and and, and looking back at it, we, we sat there and I was screaming at the TV for Belichick to call a timeout, and he didn't. He put he put all his chips into the center, and he said, my defense is going to come through here. They went goal line, but in st- they went with three cornerbacks, um, and they got in there, and it took 15 years, but Pete Carroll finally came through for the New England Patriots. <laughs> yeah,
1: Indeed. And ja-
0: <laughs> but or go ahead. just real, real quickly on – on the uh, on the, the the whole sportsmanship thing, there's a couple things that I want to say because I normally do not go after other teams' fan bases. I, I I try to treat them with the utmost respect because that's how I think you should be treated. If if you're a fan of of the Seattle Seahawks, the New York Jets, the uh, New York Yankees, the New England Patriots, wh- whoever whoever it has been you're a fan of that team and you follow them through thick and thin. I've been a fan of the New of Patriots for a very long time and I've seen some very bad, bad teams out there. I've also been very lucky to see some very great teams out there. So when I see a guy like Bruce Irvin take a swing at Rob Gronkowski and then Gronk going after him and turns around he runs like a little girl with his hand between his uh, legs and just runs away, and then you have – the Patriots at their parade on Wednesday, and you have Seattle Seahawks fans coming out and calling the Patriots classless and all this other stuff. What they don't realize, because they're three thousand miles away, it's not like the New England Patriots Julian Edelman. It's not like it was his sign that he had that he was holding up, that he made on Richard Sherman with the the how many Super Bowl rings does Brady have for, okay? That's Richard Sherman on the sideline on the biggest game of not only the season but of his career. Sitting up there and going two four, two four, sitting there saying, I'm you know, whether it's there was twenty four points on the board or whether he was saying, Hey, that was on Revis twenty four, I'm the best cornerback in the league. We all heard so much stuff about Darrell Revis this year, uh before this year and how he was Mevis and all the stuff and that might play out in the uh in, in the off season, but he came in here and he did his job and he shut his mouth. And then the Legar Blount holding up the bitch mode uh t shirt, that was thrown up to him by a fan. He got a kick out of it and held it up. Listen, these are young guys celebrating what could be the only time they ever win a Super Bowl. Do I expect the Patriots to come back and win a Super Bowl again? you hey, damn right I do. I, and, and to steal it from the, from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, one for the thumb. I think the Patriots can do it. But let's let, let's, let it die with this, you know, and, and this going back and forth and the Patriots. Oh, your team's nothing but a cheater and all this other stuff. You know what? Kiss the rings and deflate this.
2: And it's not going to go away. I, let's face it, guys, we've, we've had these conversations so many times. The hate will continue as long as the Patriots continue to be in the playoffs and have a legitimate Super Bowl chance. Uh, so, you, you know, I, you, you have to expect to continue. One good thing that I really thought was classy with Seattle was Sherman. At the end of the game, he was the first one that walked up to Brady and shook his hand uh, and and— tapped him on the, the the helmet and Brady responded and shook back. So I will give Sherman credit for that. At the end of the game, he didn't mouth off, they lost, he felt okay, we lost. Let's go congratulate the other team. So he may he may give you all kinds of frustrating moves during the game like the holding up of the four, uh, the two and the four during the game when he, you know, was just kind of showboating a little bit and the game wasn't over yet and and there are things he does that irritate you but he's a smart man I don't want to underestimate him and he is a great cornerback I, you can't take anything away from him as a cornerback uh, but the rest of the team is just so bush and and I'll end on that note
1: and Bob I'll tell you the moment at the end with Sherman and Brady was a nice exchange where to paraphrase Brady told him that he's a great player of course, Sherman also. Karma came back around and bit him for that 2 forward gesture. And as a Patriots fan, it was great to see him crying after the Malcolm Butler interception. You just, feel, you just see his face change so quickly to tears. That was a beautiful moment I'm sure that Patriots fans reveled in. I know I did. And I just want to say, going back to that last play, the interception. First off, for say what you will about Bill Belichick not calling a timeout, I thought that was absolutely the right decision for two reasons. One, it didn't allow Seattle to calm themselves down, collect themselves, and figure out exactly what they wanted to run. So it turned up the pressure on Pete Carroll and Seattle's offense. And secondly, it also did not allow them three straight runs from the one-yard line where if the Patriots call a timeout, they can, turn off to hand, they can turn around and hand off to Marshawn Lynch without any consequences as far as the clock is concerned. And as for the play call itself, I have no problem with Seattle passing. I think in that situation, it's actually the right decision on that particular down. However, the play call was not creative. Forget the fact that it was poorly executed. They, what they should have had was a read option, or at the very least, a play action, have Russell Wilson roll out, force the defense to do something other than play what you're running straight. Malcolm Butler knew where the ball was going the entire time. It was, in terms of execution, a horrible job by Jermaine Kearse of not interfering or impeding in Butler's ability to get to the spot. And so it was poor execution by Seattle, but I also thought it was a very unimaginative play call and that if they had run something more towards the corners where there's less traffic, that at the very least it would have been incomplete, and who knows what would have happened after that.
0: Final things closing up Super Bowl 49, Patriots 28 24, the fourth Super Bowl ring for both Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and the fourth ring uh, for the New England Patriots as a franchise in eight Super Bowl trips tying tying the nfl record for the most trips to the super bowl by any team listen it came down to bill belichick finally trusting his defense we remember back in 2011 super bowl 46 they allowed uh, the giants to score and they could not go down the field bill belichick trusted his defense now we're moving on to the offseason guys and there's a lot of stuff to play out. We've already talked about Vince Wilfork and his 7 million dollar cap hit if the uh, option is picked up on March 10th. You have Gerard Mayo counting for 10 million dollars against the cap this year and you got some free agents that you need to deal with. You got uh, and I'm just going to read the list of free agents from top to bottom. You got Deb McCourty, uh you know, a, a phenomenal safety, Dan Connolly, uh captain and a guard that stepped in and really solidified this team. Steven Gostowski, uh, you know, nails as a kicker, um, you know, came in for um, Adam Vantieri and just did some great things. Shane Vereen, 11 catches in the Super Bowl. Steven Ridley, of course, uh, of 1,200-yard back a few years ago, tore his ACL. Uh, linebacker Chris White, not huge there, but a special teams player. Uh, long snapper Danny Aiken. Uh, Keem Ayers, who was uh, traded for to come over from the Titans uh, earlier this year. Jonathan CanSias, uh same thing in a trade with, um, with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. James Devlin and Brian Timms, uh, both restricted free agents. Silva Salinga, an exclusive rights free agent, as well as uh, Greg Orton. Uh, linebacker uh, James Morris, who was uh, on IR for the season, um, he was a uh, – a undrafted rookie free agent. A lot of people uh, were pretty high on him. Alan Branch, who, of course, was signed middle of the season. And there's still a big option that needs to be decided on on Darrell Revis. Guys, at week seven, when Darrell Revis and Brandon Browner uh, were finally able to team up uh, with Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung, the, the defensive backfield became the best in the NFL You can't let Revis and McCourty walk, can you?
1: No, absolutely not. It's the Darrell Revis came in and completely changed this defense. You could see the impact he had on everyone, not just the secondary, but he made the pass rush better. I know they didn't get a lot of sacks, but they got a lot of pressures and a lot of hurries. He made Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower better players. He allowed people to play to their strengths and mitigate the weaknesses that this defense might have had. Otherwise, he took away team's number one options week in and week out. And as far as Devin McCourty, he might not be a playmaking free safety per se, but the Patriots were one of, if not the best defense in terms of not giving up the long ball and deep plays this entire season from start to finish. And that is primarily on the shoulders of Devin McCourty. He plays center field. I know he, didn't, he only had, I believe, two interceptions. And even against Seattle, you didn't notice him a whole lot. But there's a reason that this defense was so good at preventing completions of 20-plus yards, and his name is Devin McCourty.
2: And when you talk about Rivas and Browner, and you mentioned McCourty, um, unfortunately, all three could be gone next year. So, it and, and I forget, did you mention Browner on your list? Because I think they're also, they have to pick up an option on Browner. Is that not right, Jeff?
0: No, Browner signed a three-year, $19 million deal. How much is his hit uh,
2: next year, do you know? Uh,
0: give me a second to look okay. that up. On While the you're BL's looking platform. that
2: up, McCordy is, as you just mentioned, also one of those free agents. So, we all know Rivas is going to take a chunk of the cash, and I just can't believe that they will let him go basically I think he'll stay and shoot whom I don't know his reputation when he first came up was money 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 it got him nowhere I think he may have learned a little bit it's still gonna take a ton of money to keep him. but as long as the Patriots are in the ballpark with any other team that goes after him I think he'll stay even possibly for less money than the other team offers but it's still better be enough money to make him the number one paid cornerback in football, and, and that's going to take a lot of bucks. So, But I can't imagine them letting him go uh, because he made such a big difference on that defense, and if he's gone, we're right back to square one, despite how everybody else played this year, and a lot of players had career years on that defense, uh, Hightower, Collins, those were career seasons for them. I'm not too sure they're capable of of being that good again unless they're comfortable behind them that Revis is there. So I, I can't imagine losing Revis. The ones that worry me on losing Jeff, um, I think Vereen may be gone. I hope not. But I think he he made a name for himself in that game, that one-handed catch that he made that was critical there were players around him if he hadn't made the catch it would have been intercepted right behind him uh... and and he played probably the most physical game he's ever played as a patriot he's never been known as a a guy that is real physical and i thought in this game he played his best game ever as a patriot statistically i know he's had better games but i thought he had his best game as a patriot and i think he may be gone Amendola had his second best game as a Patriot. His best game was obviously against Buffalo the first time, right after they signed him. He had a great game, and then the injuries and everything else accumulated. He was a key player. I'll
0: give him. I'll give him against Baltimore, which was yeah. probably one of his best
2: games. Yeah, too. yeah. Statistically, though, I think the, the the best statistic game he had was in that first one, and he got injured. If you remember, in that first one at halftime, yet still played. Uh, he had a groin pull, if I remember right, but anyway, those are players that that probably aren 't going to be back next year because they 're a pretty heavy hit and will be a hit, and you can 't have them all, so Jeff, I went beyond what you asked, but who's it in your opinion, who is at jeopardy of going somewhere else next year?
0: I think you start first and foremost um, with Shane Vereen, and it kills me to say it, but uh, Shane Vereen is going to want money. Shane Vereen is going to want to prove that he can be a full-time featured back, and I can see him going the route of Danny uh, Woodhead and even LeGarrett Blount, where the Patriots will set a bar for him. You know, probably two and a half, you know, per year. On a two or three year deal, and he'll go out and get that money, uh, you know, elsewhere. Um, I I can't think of an ideal fit for him right now, uh, but Vereen, unfortunately, I think is a good bet uh, to go elsewhere. Uh, Akeem Ayers uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, he is a good bet on my um, on my watch to go elsewhere. Not that we didn't love Akeem Ayers but I think um you know he came in he was basically a rental player he might agree uh, to come back with the patriots but this is a guy that his first couple years in the league uh was a phenomenal uh pass rusher and really in his in his time with Tennessee was very good until until last year when he was injured and really didn't get out there and play so you look at uh, Akeem Ayers, and I think that he'll be going somewhere else, especially if the Patriots keep Gerard Mayo, which at this moment is an if uh, coming off back-to-back seasons uh, of missing 10 games, uh, an ACL injury, and a $10.5 million cap hit. Um, If Mayo's coming back, it's because there's mutual respect between the two of them. Uh, the Patriots and Mayo, and they will definitely um, have to work out a way to reduce his cap figure, uh, whether that be, um, you know, an extension, which I highly doubt, or taking some of that, um, you know, cap hit and moving it into uh, performance bonuses, uh, you know, injury bonuses, stuff like that. One thing we got to say, guys, is earlier in the uh, season, Tom Brady took that um, you know, the the roster bonus and made it oh, just injury bonus, saving the Patriots $24 million in spending capital, allowing them to, uh, you know, spend more on bonuses. The way I see this working out for the New England Patriots is Deb McCourty isn't going anywhere. They'll slap that um, franchise tag on him very, very quickly. And then next, next thing they got to do is look at Darrell Revis because the Patriots' defense took a extreme fall off the map the last time they had a very good cornerback going up for free agency, and that was Asante Samuel, and by no means was Samuel ever in the category of Revis in being a shutdown cornerback. Uh, the Patriots tried so much. They brought in Lee Bowden, uh, draft picks of uh, Terrence Wheatley and Darius Butler and Jonathan Wilhite, Rosside Dowling, these guys that they've just thrown money out there trying to uh, get a, a cornerback to, to replace this. A couple years ago, they gave Kyle Arrington a four-year, $16 million deal to be a cornerback. And I know the Patriots get that, oh, they're cheap. They won't go out and sign anyone. We'll look back over the last... 10 years of the New of Patriots. When they had players of star value, whether that be Randy Moss, who got a three-year, $27 million deal from the Patriots after his record-setting 2007 season. Um, of course, Logan Mankins got that big deal. Vince Wilfork got a, uh, a good deal. Uh, Brady gets great deals, although he keeps... Refinancing and, and and paying it forward for the Patriots, they've put the money out there. The guys that they haven't put money out there for, guys like Richard Seymour, who were on his last legs. Wes Welker, everyone and his brother in New England was beside themselves, myself included, when Wes Welker signed with signed with Denver a couple of years ago for a mere one million dollars more uh, than the Patriots were willing to pay. You just saw what Julian Edelman did in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. He didn't drop the pass to win a game. No, he caught the game winner. And Welker is now a shell of himself. Sure, the Patriots miscalculated a little bit, gave a bunch of money to Danny Amendola. But Amendola played played himself in spades this year, uh, especially in the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see moving forward, but I can't see... Bill Belichick making the same mistake, they built in that option for Dural Rivas for two reasons in my opinion, number one, to drop his cap hit for the two thousand and fourteen season from twelve million to seven million by moving five million into next year's cap. number two, the twenty million dollar option for next year, along with the five million dollar bonus is a nice starting spot to make a long-term commitment to this guy. It worked out famously, and I can't see it going anywhere.
1: Jeff, I think that the label of the Patriots being cheap is an inaccurate one because when you look at this team's cap space situation year in and year out, they're amongst the highest spenders. It's just that the Crafts philosophy is they value – the roster as a whole and put more emphasis on that than they do the top third of the roster. They have a value set for each individual player and more often than not they are not willing to compromise and go over that to keep someone around. So I think that label of being cheap isn't not an accurate one. And as far as the current situation goes, you know, the realities are that when you win the Super Bowl Teams are going to look to poach from your roster. It happened to Seattle last year, and it will probably happen to New England to some degree this year. And you brought up Akeem Ayers. I think an interesting situation to monitor there is the correlation between Mayo and Ayers, where as much as people love Gerard Mayo, his ability to stop the run, his leadership, he was on the sidelines throughout this whole postseason for the Patriots. If they're not willing or they simply don't want to come to an agreement on a significant restructure that will deduct Mayo's cap hit, then I think he is going to be a June 1st cut, and that puts Akeem Ayers in line to be that third linebacker when they go 4-3 and to give them another pass rusher behind Chandler Jones and Rob Ninkovich.
0: You are listening to the Super Bowl edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on clnsradio.com, brought to you by lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. Do you want to be a Super Bowl champion? Well, unless you have the skills of Tom Brady or Malcolm Butler, I don't think you're going to get there. But you can definitely be super in life if you check out lynda.com and with clns radio's free 10-day trial go to www.lynda.com slash clns claim your free 10-day trial listen guys it's free it's worth the price of admission hey if it's free it's for me check it out lynda.com slash clns it's a great website Anything you want to learn, I mean, as I said, you can get in there and and look up anything, and they have it. It's all taught by professionals out there, professionals in all sorts of things. Great, uh, uh, great downloads, great videos, just some great things out there. Try it today, Linda dot com. Guys, we are talking about the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots four times on to Brady and Belichick. We're talking about what could happen this offseason. Bob uh, Snowden, let me throw this over to you. Steven Gustowski.
2: It depends on how much money he wants. I mean, I never thought they'd lose. I thought of Adam Vanateri was a, a, the, the field goal kicker for the Patriots forever, um, and he wasn't. And in fact, he's actually played more time now with the Colts than he did with the Patriots, which is really hard to believe. But I'm not sure. I like him. I want him to stay. He's probably among the top two or three field goal kickers in the NFL. Um, He gets the ball through the end zone on kickoffs pretty regularly. He is very accurate with field goals up to a certain yardage, and he's made some long ones this year. So am I hoping he stays? Yes. Uh, I think it's going to get down to dollars and cents and how much is a kicker worth when you've got other players on the roster who play every down or more downs. So I'm, I'm hoping that he stays, but I'm not overconfident he will. I was also going to mention something else. We, we talked about the offensive line earlier this year and how we were really worried about it as it went through the first games. And then all of a sudden, we it solidified itself when the, the rookie Stork played center and they moved bodies around. And,
0: That's right. And then
2: he got hurt again. I, I know you love me to talk about Stork. But do you guys feel like going into next year, the offensive line? Because Conley going to make fairly big money next year, I believe. And I know Bobby... And and your other guys keep cutting in or sending me little stuff with the amount of dollars involved. But Conley, um is is there any potential for that being a problem again next year? And if so, I don't know whether you saw it today or not, but the Titans waved um over with the with an injury designation. I don't know what his injury is, and maybe you do. Uh but and he's the one that they made that movie for, uh, if you remember, and I'm trying to think of the name of the movie, A Perfect Season, something like that. What was Blindside. Yeah, that's it. Blindside. Uh, but he may be out there, although again I don't know what his injury is. But my bottom line is, is that offensive line now gonna be solid next year? What do you and think about that?
1: I think Bobby? that's I think that's one of the great debates that the Patriots are gonna have to have internally this off season. Quite frankly, I'd be surprised if Dan Connolly is not brought back. He's a captain on this team now. He's taken over the Logan Mankins role for them. What's going to be interesting to monitor is that this team, they really didn't even want to give Ryan Wendell an opportunity. They looked to fix the offensive line situation that first month of the season in a variety of ways that did not include him. Finally, he was plugged in there and along with Stork helped solidify the interior of the offensive line. But once again, the question kind of surrounds him more than it does anyone else across the line because they might feel like, yes, it worked this year and we have all the respect for the job that Wendell did, but we're still going to look to upgrade that right guard position, get someone who's more effective as a run blocker, which will certainly help LeGarrette Blount, who's under contract for next season and isn't the type of running back that creates holes for himself. So he relies more on the offensive line. So, again, I think Ryan Wendell's job is in jeopardy. But, of course, the Patriots could look at it and the season that he just had and decide to give it another go with him. And as far as Nate Solder goes, Jeff, we discussed a number of times on this program especially around the time of Marcus Cannon's extension, whether or not he would be brought back this season. But if you heard Dave DiGuglielmo discuss how much he values Nate Soldier, he said he thinks he's one of the top two left tackles in the game today. So if that reflects how the Patriots view Nate Soldier, then I don't think that he's going anywhere.
0: No, I wouldn't expect Nate Soldier to go anywhere at all. Listen, he had an up-and-down season. I will admit that. But look back at the last three games that the Patriots played in the playoffs. Against Baltimore, you really didn't hear much of Terrell Suggs, now did you? Uh, You know, against uh, the Colts. I can't really think of any of their pass rushers (laughs) who had any big-name game against Soldier. And the a exactly and the touchdown and then even in the super bowl he did soldier did a fine job in the super bowl if you're talking about pressure on tom brady it was as it always is up that gut sometimes and a man named michael bennett who played the game of his life i mean he did some really good things this week against bruce serving. And against uh, O'Brien Schofield, he did some really nice things. He worked well. I think a lot of it this year with Nate Soldier was that unsettledness up front. This is the first time in his four-year career that Soldier did not have a lineman in Logan Mankins next to him. Now, Logan Mankins, of course, traded before the season started. And and now there's rumor out there that he is going to get cut. Uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because of lack of confidence in his run blocking and his pass blocking. So, listen, Nate Soldier has his fifth year option picked up. I would not be too surprised if they work on a long-term extension uh, for him. Marcus Kinn, uh, I was a little perplexed with the, uh, with the signing of him. I understand why they did it. It gives them layers uh, in case – uh you know soldier is not resigned in case he gets that big money um uh, but i tell you a guy that i'm really looking forward to seeing uh develop is uh first year player uh, uh fleming from um, stanford uh, he came in a lot as a tackle eligible this year as an extra blocker uh we saw him play a little bit at guard this year i'd like to see him he's a guy who has a lot of uh a lot of versatility, and, and in fact, going back to last year's um, draft, we heard uh, a guy like um, Todd, Manche, Todd McShay coming out and saying um, that they liked him as a guard in uh, in the future in the uh, in the NFL.
2: I want to follow up too. You just mentioned Bennett and how great a game he had. I don't know whether you guys got to see it or not. I think, and I don't remember it was a, whether it was on ESPN or NFL. But they had sound bites and they, for the whole game, and it really was interesting. And when Bennett sacked, and the only sack of the game, uh, Brady, and Brady got up, and Brady, as Bennett was walking away, said, nice hit, 75, and then went into the huddle, and I'm thinking, man, I, I, he's not known <laughs> for you know, really complimenting the other players during a game. He, he kind of took a page out of Andrew Luck's, you know book which luck does it regularly and gets pronounced a noun you know renowned for doing that so i i did want to mention that and bennett had a hell of a game he was the only really i thought um defensive player on their front that that really put much pressure and mainly it was because brady was getting rid of the ball so quick uh you know two two seconds and the ball was out of his hands uh so i but i did want to mention that
1: Yeah, and I think that helps make the offensive line look better is part of that death-by-a-thousand-cut strategy is get the ball out quickly. We saw it especially against the Ravens when Stork left the game that the ball was leaving Brady's hand faster and faster and faster. And I also think that Baltimore game served as great preparation for playing Seattle. It was kind of like a rehearsal for the Super Bowl and it gave the Patriots a chance to figure out how they wanted to attack a defense of that nature. And it was huge in terms of mental toughness and knowing how to handle a situation where you're down by two scores in the second half of a playoff game.
2: And you you were talking about, and I know we were on going forward, and I mentioned earlier that this is the youngest team to ever win a Super Bowl. I look for the Patriots to be back next year, just as you mentioned earlier, I I can't imagine them not, once again, making the playoffs. Uh, Yes, the division is probably a little stronger than it's been recently. Miami took a step up this year. Buffalo took a step up. The Jets were the Jets. But I I don't see any of those teams that really are a big threat. And if the Patriots' defense can continue to grow as it did during the course of this year, um, and – Brady can still do the magic that he's done. I I look at them as, I think they're the number two. Seattle, I think, was number one and in, in, uh, New England number two right now in Vegas on odds to make the Super Bowl.
0: I'm looking at the New England Patriots for the 2015 season. As long as McCourty and Revis are back, the sky's the limit. Uh, there are so many things that can happen with this team. You have Brady and... At 37 years old, he showed no signs of diminishing his skill. In fact, the last two, three games of the season, uh, he was as good as I can remember him. Throwing the team on his back, not only against Baltimore, but in the Super Bowl, 8-for-8 on that final drive. Just unbelievable. It'll be interesting to see how this offense develops more. And I do have a, a column coming out. Um, I kind of an apology per se to uh, Josh McDaniels. I thought he had a brilliant, uh, a brilliant three game stretch in the uh, in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. He did some really really nice things. Um, but just it'll be interesting, especially moving forward with how the uh, receiving core continues to develop. We've talked about Danny Amendola. Will he be back? Won't he be back? Uh, Aaron Dobson. You know, uh, 37 catches his rookie year, three this past season, ended up on IR. Does that IR um, designation, does that allow him to have a quiet offseason with not as much expected of him and him to come forward? Brandon LaFell in his second season with Tom Brady, we saw how great he was, uh, you know, from the uh, Kansas City game on. You know, just unbelievable Moving forward from there, you have Tim Wright, the guy that they traded for um, in the Logan Mankins trade. Big things coming forward for him. I'm really excited to see this team as it goes. Final thoughts, guys. We'll go to you, Bob Snowden, first on the Patriots going forward and this roster.
2: Well, first of all, I already mentioned, I, I really think they've got a legitimate shot for Super Bowl next year and the fifth ring. Um, I I was expecting and haven't heard any kudos to me during this show as the only one in the pre-Super Bowl show that kind of nailed it in my predictions. I said the team that scored first would win, and they did. I said Tom Brady will be the most valuable player, and he was. And the only place I missed it, and I didn't miss it by a ton, was my score, when I predicted that New England would win, I think I said twenty-eight seventeen or something like that. So I wasn't even way off there. Even
0: a blind squirrel finds. Hey, out. <laughs> I
2: found all. I I want to take it while I can because you're <laughs> right. It doesn't happen a whole bunch. But anyway, I you know I'm excited about next year. I think it's going to be another great year for Patriot fans.
1: Well, Bob, I'll say kudos to you for accurately calling. Those things pertaining to the Super Bowl. Job well done there. And I tip my cap. As far as this offseason and next year's chances, who knows what the offseason's going to bring and who's going to end up where. And you can't predict how healthy a team will stay during the season. Gronkowski stayed healthy this season from start to finish. And that, of course, is a huge reason as to why the Patriots won the Super Bowl this season. But if they're healthy next year, if the players at the top of the roster are healthy, if the offensive line is in good condition, then I fully expect this team to be just looking around the AFC right now. And I know I just said, who knows what the offseason's is going to bring. But if this team is healthy, I fully expect them to be back in the AFC championship game. And from there, you're just one win away from the shot to defend your
0: crown. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Patriots Beat. We will be back live in two weeks as we start our preparation for draft coverage. Of course, we will have Mike Loiko of nepatriotsdraft.com to break down his three part series. Uh, as he did last year uh, on Patriots Beat, as we lead you up to the draft and NFL free agency. we got some big guests coming up. Mike Reese of ESPN Boston will be joining us, as well as Matt Chatham, former linebacker Teddy Johnson, will also be joining the program. We also have Daniel Jeremiah coming up from NFL Network. Cast of thousands, big things. Next Friday, listen to us as we bring you the best of 2014 Patriots beat all of the best interviews uh, from this season, from Matt Chatham to Mike Reese, uh, Mike Loiko, Doug Kide from Nesson. It's a cast that you just you can't beat anywhere else. So that is it for this week's edition of Patriots Beat, brought to you by the good folks over at lynda.com. And also, don't forget the best way to listen to Patriots Speed and all of the other great podcasts on the CLNS Radio Network is to download the free mobile app by going to www.clnsradio.com slash Android for you Android users and www.clnsradio.com slash iOS free for anyone with an Apple device. Download it for free. If you should like to be part of the CLNS radio network and advertise on our airwaves. Uh, you can at any time email info at CLNS radio Plans starting as low as $9.99 a month. It's the greatest value in the history of radio. You could support the Boston fat guy Patriots nation. Thank you very much for one of the most successful seasons that we could ever think of, not only for the team, but Patriots beat. Bobby Kravitsky, Bob Snowden, thank you both very much for joining me uh, each and every week throughout this whole entire season. And thank you to everyone else out there that makes this such a joy for all of us.
2: Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for
0: listening. Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.